and welcome. You're listening to Requires Improvement, a podcast that aims to critically discuss all aspects of the current UK education system from an unashamedly left-wing perspective. With the support of listeners and guests, we want to find out what's really going well and what really requires improvement. I am Lauren and I'm a science teacher and an NEU member in Bristol. I'm Charlie, I'm a primary school supply teacher. Hi, I'm Nick, uh, I'm a humanities teacher and a school rep. I'm Lee, I'm a history teacher and a school rep. Okay, so um, obviously there was a big thing that happened in December. Uh, that big thing was, of course, the election. So how are we all feeling, everybody? How are you? I'm all right. Holding on. <laughs> <laughs> I say it's a mix, but sometimes, yeah, obviously it was a, a big hit when it first happened. I know a lot of people felt really drained by it. And I think there's a degree to where I'm still feeling drained, but I've got that feelings of hope. But at the moment, I think we're still pulling ourselves together. And so what I'm exactly uh, clinging to, what's, what's going to be the next direction is still, yeah, a little bit. I find it hard to motivate myself towards it, even though I know that's the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard because we just felt like we were so tantalisingly close something and if you listen to the previous podcast we were like setting the world to rights in terms of like you know we we weren't compromising on anything in our heads we were like what is going to be the perfect system that we want and deserve and this is what we're going to go for because we really like the manifesto and everything in it um and now that's just not where our focus is that's just that and there's a new reality that we have to move it doesn't mean there's not still scraps that we've got to get into like I kind of think, like yes, you'll gr- yes, we've got to grieve, but also it's a luxury. It, you know, it's it. We don't have time to grieve in a way, and and it's kind of it's luxurious to do that because you know the fights we're going to have are now going to be about uh, simple employment rights or the culture war where they come for LGBT kids and where racism is trying to get more and more normalised in the media. Like, we're just going to have to turn ourselves to those battles and we can't whinge or sulk about it because there's we've got comrades across the world in much worse situations and they don't sulk, they just get on with it. So, you know, we've got, we got, you know, we're not in the worst situation in the world. That doesn't make it better, but the point is the sulking and grieving has to stop and we just, we just get on with it. Yeah, I know personally I had, like, I remember sat, sat at my kitchen table on the, the night of the 12th and I was actually preparing something that was very kind of weird enough about democracy and, and, and about, um, you know, fairness and all the rest of it. And I just remember, like, my flatmate put the uh, put the um, exit poll, like, put BBC on and there's the exit poll. And I just, I was like, oh, my God. So I just had to go go and have a little sit outside, rolled a cigarette, had the cigarette. and was like, right, what am I going to do now? And it is weird because I genuinely, like like you said, like I was in a bit of malaise and depression. I genuinely was like, right, and I I did sort of tell myself from now until like January, I'm just, I need, to, I need a break. I needed a mental break from it all because obviously we'd all been so busy. We've been working so hard, been canvassing, so full of hope. Um, and, and it was, it was a blow. Like, and I know you didn't take it personally, but it kind of, it does feel personal because it affects you so much and what you do and how you feel about life and, and also the lens of which you view the place you live through. Um, obviously, Bristol, the city that we're currently in, is, you know, has voted Labour. But I look at, God, like, just look at the map of the North. That was, for me, was really interesting. And I went to a really interesting talk, um, a journalist called, Nat- or a writer, sorry, called Natalie Ola. And she was talking about where the left had really failed was not was by focusing purely on material aspects of life and not actually addressing the cultural issues. So the kind of cultural void that working class and, and sort of um, post-industrial uh, people, families have actually had in the media and how much has that contributed? And actually that is part of our new battle as well is to get those voices heard again. Uh, yeah, I, I, I want to, you know, just share some wise words that uh, Nick shared with me prior to us uh, recording this episode. You know, I think there is a great tendency uh, in this current political moment to, you know, uh, you know, your opponents will try and make you feel ashamed of the fact that you're, you've lost, you know, and there are plenty of, shall we say, you know, um, th- you know, people inside the left who are claiming to have a, a strategy of where to go next, but part of their narrative involves, 
you know, you feeling that you were somehow onto the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing for the last four years. But um, I think the first step towards recovery is actually just setting that narrative straight in your head that I think we have the courage of our convictions, you know, and that was the great thing about our last episode, as as Nick's already mentioned this episode, you know, we're getting so close to knowing the right way to run an education system and what it would look like on a democratic and, you know, humanitarian level. Um, and and so I, I think what I'm getting at is that, yeah, there's it, it, it's a blow, but it, it doesn't mean that we were wrong, you know? I mean, I, th- I think certainly something about British politics, the idea that if you lose that's the worst thing in the world. And like, obviously winning should be a priority. We should be focused on, on attaining power, but how realistic was that this time? I mean, the way I feel about it, the most alluring thing about the prospects for Labour in the December 2019 elections, that it felt like it was a shortcut to our dreams. It felt like it was a way to bypass a lot of grassroots organising and stuff that would have had to have been done anyway, even if the election result had been different. I think those battles would still remain. Um, and so there are no shortcuts. I think that that's both difficult to face up to, but it is encouraging that we should and can. You know, like that that, that work is going to have to be done. And so I'm, I'm, I, you know, obviously I'm I'm devastated about the election, but there are no shortcuts, and I, I'm prepared to carry on doing what it takes to try and make things a bit better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I th- what I what I quite like about this situation is you can let your like inner anarchist come out. <laughs> where the anarchists, of all, well, wherever it is, <laughs> yeah, I do actually have like um, tattoos on my head and uh, <laughs> piercings in my eyelids and stuff. But um, the 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 you know because the anarchists are always just like, well, the whole political system is shit. You can't get any effective change through the political system. So how do we improve the world? Well, we just help refugees and we stop people from getting deported and we run a cafe uh with a bookshop in it like that that you know and some of that stuff small fry some of it is is super super important and done really really well um but again that that's what the left does in some other countries you know they're, they're nowhere near political power um so they just have to alleviate the problems and i think that is that's actually really good and very important for what we do because i think the saddest thing i find about the election is that we had loads and loads and loads of people who were knocking on doors, giving up all their time to try and persuade people that a better world was possible and that things don't just have to keep being shit until you die. And loads of people didn't believe us. They didn't not agree that with what we said would make things less shit. Like you talk to people on the doorsteps and there were people who were like, you knock on the door and they're like, not interested in politics. And you say, have you got kids? And you can talk about Ofsted and SATs and they agree with you, but they just didn't think it was possible for things to be better. And I think it's like, yeah, actually, I mean, yeah, why would you if your job gets worse all the time and all everything gets cut, like, consistently, you know, you're completely ground down, everything just looks shit. Like, we need to offer people little victories in their lives, um, and that's what trade unionism does. We we have we have battles in workplaces and we win, and people see, oh, yeah, actually, we don't have to do it like that. Or, like, um, ACORN, the the um, community union, like that that's going to be really important going forward is we're doing two things. You're trying to alleviate the worst of the suffering caused by the policies that will be enacted. You know, people getting kicked out of their houses, but we're also trying to show little glimpses of what the difference can be. And I think that was kind of the problem in our manifesto is we didn't have enough of that grassroots thing. People were like, yeah, great, but I can't see that happening. (laughs) So we need to show at least little snippets of that. And that is amazing because it keeps us going. You feel really good, but, and it can keep you going. Like it stops. It stops. You know, activism doesn't just have to be a Tory boat shoe like stamping on your face forever. You don't have to feel like you're losing all the time. Like there are little victories you can get, and they're so important strategically and psychologically, and just to help people really. And that's what, that's what I think we kind of need to channel ourselves into now. So um, I think in our planning for this episode, we decided we were not going to get too into uh, the reasons for Labour's defeat. Uh, I think that would be a topic for an entirely different podcast. But um, I do just want to I do just want to give a shout out to uh, one particular uh, writer who I think captured things. Um, 
you know, in succinctly and in a kind of interesting perspective, uh, I want to recommend an article by David Graeber in the uh, New York Review of Books, uh, where he talks about, um, you know, spite and care in the election and uh, the role of... Uh, sort of hegemonic ideas and centrism in, in British politics. So I highly recommend his article if you want to do some reading outside this episode. He does mention schools in it as well, doesn't he? Yes. With management. Do you yeah. want to just say that, outline that argument because it's quite interesting? Yeah, so um, he frames um, the sort of internal splits within the Labour Party as a, uh, a split between uh, people in caring professions and people in professional managerial roles. And um, you you can see that dichotomy. I mean, obviously, it's not a, it's not a neat social cleavage. There's people whose jobs fall, fall on either side of that spectrum. There must be a few nice managers with a conscience around. <laughs> not all but, managers. <laughs> not all managers. Um, but no, he, he, you know, the, 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 the Labour Party in its current form was always going to be an unstable alliance. And, and certainly it wasn't shall we say, the people committed to a refreshed view of socialism who were the problem, but rather more uh, people whose entire worldview was dependent on them believing that centrism was the only way forward and that any tack to the left was basically insane. And But actually the real insanity it brought was from them uh, in that their unwillingness to work as a team, their unwillingness to pitch in, uh, their unwillingness to sort of imagine a better world, even as they proclaimed to be left-wingers, they proclaimed to be Labour voters. Um, they basically sunk the ship before it even got out of harbour. And, you know, um, I, again, David Graeber makes the point much, much better uh, than us. But, you know, they are the old way. You know, these are people whose worldview was consolidated during the entire years of New Labour. Um, their views have been repudiated by events going back a lot longer than December 2019. And so in that, that's why I recommend the article, because I think it vindicates a lot of what we've been pushing towards. It just proves that um, the end of history was actually the end of the end of history. Shout out, Alpha Bunga Bunga. <laughs> Who's, did you who also, that yourself? I, I thought I did, but <laughs> apparently not. No, that's their tagline for their podcast. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> um, I, I also want to recommend uh, Alpha Bunga Bunga's uh, election podcast, not because I agree with everything in it. I think they uh, there's some very difficult things to listen to in their election analysis. Some I agree with more than others. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they've got a very interesting take on, you know, Labour's mistakes in the build-up to this election. So again, shout out to the... Alf Hibunga Bunga. It's a stupidly titled podcast, but they are at least attempt, <laughs> attempting to be clear-eyed and global, you know, take a global view on British politics. Okay, brilliant. So, um, obviously, I think now is time to get to the next section, which is the name of this podcast. So, what or who do we think requires improvement in education? And I'm going to start, if that's okay. So um, I just read an article in The Guardian, actually, about youth services um, suffer, suffering a 70% funding cut in less than a decade. And basically, um, loss of a billion pounds of investment resulting in zero funding in some areas of the UK, which coupled with the absolute ravaging of funding in um, the actual education itself is it's just compounding an issue of what do we do with like what do kids do like what do students do um and the fact is that you know we think we've got rising inequality we've got much bigger like gang issues county lines we've got all of these things that just seem to be getting kind of more and more exacerbated with inequality rising and this is just one of those things like youth centers are really important and not all education happens in a classroom not all kids actually learn all of the skills, social skills, life skills, get to meet people, get to hang out in kind of a non-formal um, environment with actually good youth workers and good influences and people that they maybe are able to relate to more than necessarily their teachers. And I just think it's it's, it's just nothing short of criminal, to be honest. Um, and again, it's one of the other things that targets the most vulnerable in our society. But now that Joris Bonson has a majority <laughs> and we're going to leave... Uh, the EU apparently that isn't that where the money's going to come from? Oh, what that three hundred fifty million? I think it's probably like several thousand times that, isn't it? Oh yeah, oh yeah, that was just for the NHS, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Um, it, it, well, here we go. I mean, the fact that it's it's being cut. I mean, do we honestly think that this this government are actually going to do anything about that? But this is the apart from demonise yet further demonise the working class. But again, it's like it's going to be interesting. We need to see what the budget looks like but if you've 
it's not like Thatcher. Thatcher came to power on like a wave of I- idealism and had very strong ideas about what they wanted to do. Boris Johnson just wants to be popular. He has now got an electoral coalition that we've not seen a Conservative government have before. So we don't know if he might turn the money taps on because you can borrow money very, very cheaply. I'm not saying that he's going to sort stuff, but there will be some vanity projects. There will be some showy things. I mean, I suspect. I I just don't see why he wouldn't unless the forces in his cabinet stop him from doing it. But he's done a lot of things that started and then didn't never never materialised bridges, etc. Things like that. So that's <laughs> yeah. another HS two. Yeah. Yeah, well that was the, the future one we're looking at. So yes, I think that potentially he could put money into things, but I think the fear is that he could just like throw money away by things that don't actually end up coming to fruition. But like and I saw this on uh might have been on Navarra Media, but they're saying any like the government what they should be doing is they, they make a big fanfare about January the 31st, then they drip feed in the media like positive news stories about the government. So what you do is you you confirm people's ideas that Brexit was the only thing holding us back. So what you do is you do chuck some money into Tory voting shires, um, like schools, for example. Like they may, you know, well, we're due, well, apparently where we are, we're due to get money in. I'm not saying it's going to solve stuff, but it might build some buildings which will link into local government, and then they can reinforce it. And I was oh, well, the only thing holding that back was Brexit, and now it's all sorted. And in people's head, they'll be like, oh, yeah. You know, things will still be terrible for teachers because it doesn't, like, capital spending doesn't affect, you know, like, workload and things like that. But you might have a slightly shinier building to do it in. I just don't see why they wouldn't do that. It just seems to be well, quite an easy way not, for them to consider it. But they're not. This, but this is just have, showing they're not, and they haven't, and... We need to see the budget. Yeah, we do. But they, they, the point is, is it's just this article raised is the fact that it has been, in the last decade, it has been cut. And the fact there are some areas without any funding at all now mm. for youth services, that's under, you know... But it'd be so easy for them watch. to just go, bang, here's some free pizza and everything's fine. Look at this. We basically, we invented these, actually. We invented youth services. Did, <laughs> did you not get the impression, though, from the way that, um, right, speaking to people on the doorstep, that... A lot of people, and even like myself, I think guilty of this. I, I'm surprised that even any kind of youth services even exist anymore. It really feels like they don't exist. It really feels like there's no more libraries anymore. But there are libraries and there are youth services. And so the idea of them being cut, you can imagine a lot of people who don't use these services and don't appreciate what their value is, uh, going like, oh, they're going to cut. It's like, oh, well, that's a bit bad, but didn't know you guys were still alive, like kind mm. of thing. And so it not really, yeah, not only just um, they not feel the blow, but they kind of just, yeah, it, we've got to a state where we don't expect anything nice anymore. Like that, like you were saying before, Nick, that people don't expect good things for their future, yeah. so they're not surprised to for more loss. Well, there's that tour you said, no one even uses libraries anymore. It's like, well, why would you use a library if you can afford to buy books? But the point is it's not for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I hope your positive assessment. I was not rings, positive. Rings true. That's that's bad. I don't. Those are bits bad. If they can consolidate that vote, that's a bad thing. Mm. It's, it's cynical. It's, it's basically and they'll punish popular. towns as well. That's the other thing. Here's they'll the thing. Some. I mean, I, I want to take an even more cynical view than you. Uh, in the uh, having won their votes, uh, I don't think he. That is Joris Bonson. Uh, won't feel obliged. That is his real name. I don't think he'll feel obliged to do anything for these people. And in fact. You know, it's the 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 actual real sting of austerity was planned for 2020 by the first condemn you know uh, administration, you know, the coalition of 2010. Um, so, uh, you know, again, in that podcast I mentioned Alpha Bunga Bunga, they they seem to take this view that um, the, the 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 hard right caricature of Boris Johnson will be will be proven to be a lie, and that he will govern from the centre as a one nation Tory. I think in terms of their personal inclinations, they'll just want to go, they want to head for the margins of the possible. Uh, and and I, I worry that, that some of some of the extremist rhetoric will turn into extremist policy in regards to how much can we hollow out the state? How much can we individualise social problems? Do you not think they want an easy ride though? Do, uh, do, he just wants to be popular and there was a very, you know, they already have so much control over all these things. But it's not just him, that's the thing. It's well, not yeah, just that is, him. It's how much control these other people, and Sajid Javid is, you know, like, yeah. right-wing ideal. Like, like, oh, yeah, I know, exactly. Don't get me started on that lovely melt. 
So uh, let's exactly. We, we're not going to know until we know. It's still a bit early at this precise juncture. But um, I was in uh, off-the-record conversations with our chief executive of an academy chain in South Gloss and uh, the early indications from the... <laughs> well, that just narrows it down anyway, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll just say it now, mate. No, no I'm not. <laughs> it was off the record. Link in the description. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, and well, this isn't even juicy goss. It's just um, the, the early communiques from the Department for Education and indeed the you know, budgetary advice that's being issued to local authorities is all options remain on the table. So many of the um, chicanery involved in sort of uh, taking chunks out of certain budgets to put into other budgets, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, especially in regards to special educational needs. Uh, all those options remain on the table because they may be the plan to finance things in the future. Um, so uh, let's see how it shakes out. But I'm um, full of um, trepidation as to the realms in which we are heading for UK education. Yes. Not um, just on the funding. Yeah, no, completely. Uh, that's That's how I feel right now. Um, okay, so Charlie, do you have a requires improvement? I do have a requires improvement. This one, um, I don't know, I think is maybe not in the same step as um, the other ones we've got. But I think it deserves a mention, uh, even though, yeah, not not new. Is that I was recently uh, teaching a year five class. And we were going through various um, BBC videos um, to help them develop their learning about the six wives of King Henry VIII. And um, so each video is about five minutes long. And um, so fair enough that by the fourth or fifth video, um, the teacher who probably planned this lesson, because I did not plan this lesson I was covering, um, probably didn't watch the fourth or fifth one. She didn't get to that point. Uh, I watched it, having taught the class, and I was less than impressed. Uh, it was about Anne of Cleves, who's known to be um, less than attractive compared to the painting that was sent to Henry that made him decide to marry her. And instead of representing this person as just maybe a bit of few prosthetics or just, you know, having a slightly less attractive actress, they decided to go for a man in a dress. That was their way of representing being less than attractive on average for um was for it this. an attractive man though. I <laughs> He was a snack. <laughs> this is the problem with woke culture, Charlie. Come on. Is this the problem with woke culture? Dunno. Um, <laughs> like the message is that um if you were um you know trans a person who's um, like wanting to be a um, you know perceived as a woman, you're inherently less attractive, and I think you can imagine someone like you know, with plenty of non-binary and trans teachers out there who could easily have had the exact same thing, be teaching the exact same lesson, and have not watched that fifth video, and got to the point where they're like, actually, this is really insulting. They could be children who are considering like whether or not um, like how they identify, uh, who are watching that and going, oh, if I am not um, you know presenting as like um, as the gender everyone telling me I am, then then inherently I'm I'm a less attractive person. And it's just like how how hard is it? I mean, the video is from two thousand seven. Like obviously, you know, there's a time that was hard. Where, you know, there's loads of um, culture and things in the media from that time which absolutely portray the exact same message and i'm not saying that's a good thing but it shows it's all the time it's like needs an update but it's just like how, like there's little things they just slip past and people don't know that they're there until somebody points it out but then where'd you go for that to put a complaint into the bbc the yeah I, I, it happened oh you were just you just put it up it just happened oh, and, yeah, and then i was yeah at this point i was like what do you they, do did they see through it there did was they some boys was silly? there was some boys sniggering but i thought um yeah, I think largely people like just sort of took it on the nose. Like, were they insulted by it? I don't know. They didn't talk about it. I was like a bit shocked because as a class, I'd only been in there for a half an hour. And I thought, yeah, I was a bit torn as to whether or not to address it. It's, yeah, uh, I think it was yeah, my own class. I think you can just class. make it as a comment. Yeah, I, I'll be, be honest, I didn't. I did think about it, but it just becomes the point where... Yeah, it it would have been quite a long conversation. I think to do it right, it probably would have had to, yeah, to be a bigger conversation. Um, and I thought if you if you do it like a, a half-assed 
job of trying to explain it and you don't get to the bottom of like the what's problematic about it it can like just be damaging and just appear to be yeah culture wars just being like oh this is bad now by the way well, kind of think, but like mm. sorry that's some, sometimes you just need there'll be other there'll be kids thinking the same way as you mm. and you sometimes need to be the person to just say it and that allows their criticism of it to be valid if you sort of mean. it's a bit difficult when you're a person that i completely don't know yeah that, like yeah, so you're, what true. what is your opinion like um are you just a person who just come in and like whereas if they know you well enough it's like oh this is a person i trust i get i get where they're where they're coming from politically like um mm. like even if kids they don't think that they understand your politics like in some way that they do like you've just been in the room for half an hour um like yeah, yeah. yeah. i made a choice like maybe one day i'll, I'll regret that not, not Sorry, was the the fact was it the fact that she wasn't deemed as attractive? The whole premise was it the major whole point yes. of that particular video? Oh, it was hammered home like right. over and over, and over again. Her yeah. Contribution yeah. to history is yeah. not so, being attractive. And uh, this is it, though, isn't it? Like exactly, it's like oh, okay, yeah. it frustrates me because no Henry one was right to bin her off. <laughs> yeah, that that guy who by the end didn't he like was just hugely like not conventionally attractive either and again but that's doesn't make it, and rotting with gangrene I mean, but, but, you too, know, many, too many lampreys man even in 2000 yeah but even in 2007 that that being like the major like hammered home like is still it's weak, it's it's just, weak historical pedagogy because again the, the actual interesting thing that kids would engage with is this notion of uh, she's been misrepresented yeah. through her through her through a photograph of her, essentially yeah. of her um so you you want to play up that you know holbein who painted her was essentially doing a photoshop you know yeah. kids in 2007 know about photoshop yeah. if you're doing it in 2019 you talk about instagram filters you know you that's the hook there around which they could get the knowledge not that oh, she's a munter <laughs> you know like yeah. you, there's better ways to teach that yeah. it, it almost has a kind of like um feeling of um trans uh, women who uh like don't rev- like disclose the fact that they're trans or like uh, is like almost catfishing and is you know is some like really terrible thing to do as if like everyone needs to disclose personally to everyone on the first meeting and not doing that is somehow a heinous that is like insulting to women it's like saying that you know we're all on a side scale and the worst scale is man and it's like the, the, the actor literally had stubble that was like part of the joke and this was kind of like you know the fact that you know if you're transitioning you're not a- you know able to get your hormones you might actually have stubble like you know and that inherently makes you less attractive. They're trying um, to play up to the Baldrick uh, and like the Blackadder Bob episode. Sounds like a kind of easy parallel they're doing there. Hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, it's still BBC, isn't it? Like, uh, um, like what, what do you do with that? Like, the yeah, the BBC is not like perfect as representation of a whole variety of groups, including trans people. The 2019 election. Mm, yes. Um, that being, yes, not even the worst thing the BBC yeah, um, has done. Well, it's not recently, but the fact they continue to put it up. Uh, yeah, I, I don't... What? Yeah, they aren't listening to high criticism anyway. I'm just but. fed up the fact that I'm sat here in 2020 still fucking listening to this shit. Like, come on. Like, let's... Like, come on. Yeah. Where's my that, flying car? Yeah, where's my fucking hoverboard, all fucking right? Fucking robot, man. Where's where's the people, you know, why, why are we still, still have this ridiculous judgment on aesthetics above, still above all else? And people can try and say that, oh, we're getting past that. But, mate, yeah, I think a lot of people I know are, but in terms of the media and culture at large, it is still the prevailing thing. I just look at girls at school and... Um, Again, the Instagram filters are just constantly duck facing into their phones, and it's just all so shat, like oh, shallow. That's that's the wrong word, but it's it's damaging actually. And and again, you're right; it can start there. Well, luckily, the because of the changes to Flash Player, I think a lot of those old BBC clips won't you won't be able to use them anymore. Yeah, Java's JavaScript's on the way out. Yeah, nerd talk. <laughs> Sorry, what? But, that, but, well, but that's going to screw quite a lot of teachers because of their like being used to using certain clips, and then yeah. um, most of the IT departments in schools are quite bad, so they're not very helpful in in that kind of thing. So I think a lot of old clips that BBC have done will just kind of disappear, and if there's no one like trying to push them back up, <laughs> then stuff will just will just go. Um, well, when I eventually get run out of the profession, uh, I've got you know Plan C is a YouTube history teacher personality. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so thank you, Charlie. Right, Nick, what is your requires improvement? Um, I, I 
not quite sure how to word it as it requires improvement, but... Um, Do better. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to be the guy that has a go at the NAS uh, UWT the whole time, but um, I think we've earned it because... Um, go on, Lee, you explain why we've earned another go at the NAS. Well, here's the thing, right? Um, obviously, we've made no secret of the fact that we are members of the National Education Union. Uh, whoop, whoop. Um, and at least we tried to do something in the general election. Uh, it wasn't obviously partisan. It wasn't party political. But we went out there with uh, our message of uh, whoever you vote for, why not consider their stance on education? You know, if value education, vote education. And uh, me and many of the people in this room, uh, and indeed a, a, a really pleasing number of new volunteers, came out for six weeks. We hit the streets. We got our message out there. We did a bit of door knocking as well. So I'm, I'm talking all over Nick's uh, requires improvement here. That's but, why I've still got a scoop. Um, I mean, my requires improvement was going to be this as well, in that um, I didn't see one press release, I didn't see one news spot, I didn't see any member of the NASUWT even remark that an election was on. I mean, obviously, in, as private citizens, they did, but where were they? If they claimed to be, you know, a, a rival to us, you know, if they, if they still advertise for members, if they stay, they still, you know, want to be a trade union in this country, I just don't see how you can take this kind of, uh, you know, non-interventionist uh, neutrality almost on political matters um, when I'm afraid education is explicitly a, a, a political arena. Um, to, to have the second largest trade union of teachers in the UK put his head in the sand to, it's, it's unacceptable to me i think i think they need to be rebuked they should they should do better or or just consider uh, amalgamating with us uh. um wasn't their whole premise quite sexist as well because aren't they the national association or yeah, nas oh we have yeah, yeah. listen okay. to all of our back catalogue but anyway uh, yeah so out. so the whole premise of them is still based on the kind of sexist thing this is the fact they still haven't changed their name to reflect you know equality in itself I think is a bit of a problem well so I mean the reason why this does fit in with an elect well it fits in with the election thing even more um, the new Conservative MP for Stoke-on-Trent North so this is the first time this area has ever had a Conservative MP um, is Jonathan Gullis uh, who is uh, not only uh, an NAS member he was the uh, rep for his school uh, and I've got a contact who actually works at that school who says that he only took two weeks off to campaign because, as we know, the Tories don't need to campaign because the media does it for them. <laughs> um, and this guy... And then it gets even weirder. So his school's uh, uh, was Fairfax School in uh, Birmingham. Um, Stoke-on-Trent. Sun Caulfield. Well, no, so, yeah, so he's... The, basically, he's been, like, quite involved in the Conservative Party education stuff. Like, he's got, he's got articles on Conservative Home where he kind of says, oh, teachers all vote Labour, even though... Look at all these statistics saying that we're really good. I wonder why, but he's got no analysis on that. He just, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I'm going to keep looking into him because it is just kind of interesting um, to see where he's going with things. But the fact, A, that you've got a Conservative MP who was a union rep is is odd. And mm. you think, okay, well, maybe that's just, I don't know, he just wants to feel important and stuff like that. But then actually, the school was quite close to industrial action, apparently, this term, um, because of financial irregularities with the CEO. And what I've heard from a member at the school... Um, who for some reason was NAS, but I think I've talked to him around to joining <laughs> us now. Um, he, uh, This guy got his mum, so Jonathan Gullis got his mum to investigate, because he was like an ex-accountant or solicitor, to investigate the financial irregularities going on in the, tr in the trust. Um, and the school was close to striking over like unanswered questions. Um, and then, sadly, the CEO, put under so much pressure, uh, actually took his own life. So it's he's coming from this school. He was the head of year nine as well, this Jonathan Gullis guy. So he's been involved in quite... I just can't figure him out. And this is what I find weird about Tories. You've got some Tories who obviously think that trade unions are just bad and stupid and they shouldn't exist. But you've got others that think, okay, well, it's part of democracy. It just so happens that they've always been wrong and everything. But this guy, he's sort of been involved in... You know, and if I, if I was in his school, I'd be like, yeah, this is what we need to do. So I just can't work him out. I guess this is why I'm... This is why I'm thinking you've got all these new... It's also in the ERG, which is mad as well. Can you explain what that is for those that may the not know? European Research Group. The Jacob Rees-Mogg, Marc Francois, Brexit headbanger The hardest people. of the Brexiteers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like... Yeah, it, but a public sector worker. Yeah, anyway, so um, he's just... I'm just saying he's, he's, one, to, he's one to watch. Um, 
yeah, I just can't, I can't work him out and I'm going to maybe stalk him a little bit and try and find out a bit more from my contacts at the school because it is, it is mucky. It's just odd. I don't, I don't get that cognitive. Yeah, what requires improvement is his cognitive dissonance that unions are good for some things, but ultimately you need to try and demonise them and take away all their power. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there we go. Right, so um, Lee, what is your requires improvement? Well, I've kind of already done it because I was just <laughs> going to go in hard on the NAS for not helping out in the election. Um, I mean, maybe it's, I, I'm sure their ardent defenders will say that this is some tactical consideration. I've had it on, I've had it from several people that they see themselves as an insider union. You know, they they get to, they get invited into these consultancies in the Department for Education. But I, you know, um, not that I like to, I just don't think you can negotiate with these people. I, I, I mean, it'd be nice to if, 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 if I felt that they were, uh, you know, sincere in, in such, in such uh, discussions. But um, you can't, uh, to borrow, I think it was James Farmer, a uh, civil rights activist from the 50s and the 60s, he said, uh, you can't be neutral on a moving train. Soz. <laughs> I, I, bet, I bet I've quoted that wrong, so uh, I'll let no, someone It was actually a him. woman. Was it? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, not the whole Rosalind Franklin thing again. <laughs> um, okay, so I think that covers that particular section. And now what we thought we'd talk about is, obviously, we talked about how, how do we feel about the election? How are we? And then, okay, so what, what are we going to do, people? Anyone got any ideas? What little, big, what things can we do at the moment to help the left? You know those big bins with the wheels on? Wheelie bins? Yeah. No, no, the big biffa bins. Yeah. If you put them in the road and set fire to them, then the police vans can't charge you. That's just a tip for a protest. <laughs> Pro tips. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because then they'd have to knock it out of the way and it's really dangerous if they don't do that. Oh, really? There apparently. Oh, uh, appar- apparently, yeah. Right, so um, on a more... Oh, well, this the, that is a great pro tip. I think every week, every week we should have a pro tip which is about From basically... the cookbook. Yeah, 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 yeah. How to be a womble. Yeah. Um, so... Um, let's say, let's give an example of what we've concretely done. So uh, even before the election, we had a little project on the way to equip our uh, union district with the tools we need to try and change the culture. Uh, we've been putting on nights, uh, some of which are sort of um, uh, co- well, discussion based, and we have guests that offer like a view on teaching or some kind of enlightened perspective, uh, you know, in the guise of CPD. But the the, the main function of these evenings is to make people feel more together you know to build links between people as professionals you know to 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 build solidarity and we're going to completely carry on in that direction so we've managed to get our union to you know buy equipment that's going to help us do it we've got a projector we've got like a, an outdoor sort of speaker system we're going to try and just build that culture because something that trade union unionism has not done very well over the last 30 or 40 years is be an inviting environment is be inclusive and think of radical new ways to exist in the public sphere so we're just going to push that angle and we think you should be doing that too <laughs> it's, it's easier in cities i feel really sorry for colleagues who are out in the sticks but even if it's two or three people who meet and feel a bond that is based on you know a positive vision of society and and the desire to improve things materially you're winning you're doing something that wouldn't have been there otherwise so that's my contribution as to what we should do next but there is that point i do agree with you it is easier in cities but there is the point that um in rural areas there's less going on so actually, like you've got less to compete with. Like in a city, there's loads of stuff. It's like, do you want to come to this socialist type event? No, I'm going to a socialising event or go and see a band or something. But like, if you live in a kind of rural area and you can start, it'll be a very, really slow process. But, you know, there is, you can put on a fun, interesting sounding event and maybe that's even better than what we do because you can get in people who really wouldn't otherwise come just because it sort of sounds vaguely interesting. It sounds like I'm talking down um, areas that aren't cities, but I'm... Um, there is obviously a lot going on in other places, but you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, we get it. And no, I, I completely concur. I think just talking to people and getting more people involved and just showing people like, just come to this meeting, like come along. And I think there's a kind of weird, it, it can feel quite alienating sometimes. And I get what you're saying about the whole, like over the last 30, 40 years of trade union movement. Cause I remember my first, you know, 
meeting committee meeting that I went to and it did like I, I was a bit like what's going on what's happening but luckily I was taken by a really really good friend and colleague of mine um, fantastic union rep who kind of was there to kind of just talk me through stuff and I kind of make it my mission now like whenever we're doing meetings and things to try and get new people involved but to just set, tell them what's going on and to make it a bit more open and accessible because I do think they can feel a bit like well not at the moment but there there has historically felt like a bit of cliqueiness and a bit of like protectionism almost and and I think that's though those walls need to be sort of just completely decimated and and I agree with you and that's something that I personally am trying to do just talk to more people go look just come along let you get a pint even if you're just like yeah you get a free pint and a slice of pizza or whatever um that can entice people but then when they're in the room they're like oh hang on all these people that in the same boat as me and feel the same as me and actually we we feel the same and, and it does that's what builds up that unity um yeah completely i love that lee yeah and um i think i think it's already starting to happen to some degree like it, we've seen it in bristol and like we'll see if it's um the same around the country that uh after the election i think people who ex- may be expecting um a labor win especially people being in those uh city bubbles See that it didn't happen, uh, not for all sorts of you know a culmination of reasons. Are thinking like what next themselves, and inspired by seeing people going out, people doing all these things, and they so they're they're coming out of the woodwork a bit more. And I think we just need to capitalise on that and always be encouraging it. So people who are um, seem maybe a bit sheepish about showing up to a meeting, just keep asking them. Cause some, I think people don't mind uh, most of the time if you just ask again and offer actually things i'll come with you the rejection is so hard i find it quite hard at at work in some ways it was easier knocking on doors in you know kingswood and getting told to fuck off (laughs) uh, and saying i was a terror sympathizer than it is asking someone for the 10th time to come to a meeting like you have to you have to get over it but there's also like if you do find it hard that's also okay yeah yeah, um, it's not it's not easy, especially when people those those people that you know that are just like you know a millimeter away from you know saying yes, but they never quite do for like years and years and years. Can't like just kind of like come on, you're like you're not those people completely politically you know uh, just destitute. You're someone who genuinely cares, and yet you can never quite. But you can't blame those people. Like they've got good reason. Like I used to be like that. But that's why you have got to mix up the events, I think, and that's what we're trying to do. You know, there will be something for everyone. You just have to actually put stuff on. Like meetings are not for everyone. Meetings aren't really even for most people. But we do need a couple more people to come to meetings to be quora. And it isn't even that many people. It isn't that many people. I know people have other other responsibilities and things, but the union has money to fund those things. So we're gonna we're gonna well our our committee we're gonna send out a survey to people trying to drum up attention for our annual general meetings. So we can actually kind of try and see what the barriers to people attending are. Because if it turns out there's people who are like. I really want to come, but it's too far away. We can say, well, we just do the event at your school then. You know, we, we can work it out. There's like issues there, but we can we can overcome them. Yeah, um, and I, I think there's a point here for both trade unionisms and the Labour Party. Uh, we need to engage people uh, on their terms in the sense of what, what do they want out of this? Is, is there an issue that you think we should be campaigning on? Do you want support with a specific issue in your school? And, and letting people set their agenda in that respect as opposed to being passive recipients of our agenda, as in like one that's pre-formulated, you know. Um, I, I mean, I hear some encouraging things from you know some commentators and indeed candidates running for leadership um you know the, 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 this idea of um direct democracy and rather more shall we say um voter and member led initiatives um I, I i see that as a route to success for the neu anyway well that sort of links on to um my kind of suggestion of what to do going forward um and again, I thought of this idea first, but then realised that someone else had thought of it. Uh, no, it's uh, Jeremy Gilbert's, um, I think it's like five quite long pieces on the election. Really, really good. Um, no sugarcoating in there, but still loads of hope. Uh, it's quite good. And th- I think his treatment of, of Corbyn is just spot on. It like kind of nails his um, positive qualities and his weaknesses, but all in really, really good perspective that... Um, yeah, I mean, just read that. But basically what comes oh, out of that where is... Where is that published? Uh, it's not... F- uh, I think it's on Open Democracy. Um, Jeremy Gold, but he's, he's, he's part of the um, Acid Corbynism uh, podcast thing. I don't know what they're going to call themselves now. 
have they changed? Well, it was originally acid communism anyway. But yeah, anyway. Um, so his kind of like prescriptive thing, as well as um, going for uh, electoral reform, PR, and possibly like progressive alliances. Um, he also says it's like, we need to challenge the status quo. We need to challenge that there is no alternative um, narrative. And the way you do that is by having strong unions. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that could be trade unions or community unions. Uh, in Bristol, uh, Acorn is uh, doing some quite interesting things. And again, they've been... So their whole thing is like giving power to uh, low-income people around the world. And they had quite a lot of success in America before. Um, well, they didn't. Uh, I mean, look, look them up. It's interesting. But I mean... This is something, you know, if you work in a workplace where you wouldn't be comfortable joining a union um, or your work doesn't have a union or, you know, for whatever reason, your union's not very good, things like that. Um, Acorn, like anyone can join that. Um, in the UK, it kind of sometimes it looks at like a tenants union, but it's not actually. It's just a community union. And it's a way of like trying to give um, power to people. And it's all done democratic. It's all about like listening, what do people want and trying to help them to um, get their rights, basically. Um, so that's really interesting. So, so unions are super important. That's the main thing we need to be doing now and the other one is like left-led media um it's very clear the media is never going to give us a, an easy ride or even a fair ride um so it's kind of jettison it to an extent um, um interesting fact that i found out at this um book launch from nasiola was that 85 percent of people working in print media currently have been privately educated at least <laughs> yeah mm. But then, and then pointing that out gets the whole kind of like um, screaming harpy treatment that Owen Jones gets when he points out like simple facts like yeah. that. And it's just like, oh, we're not. I invented reading myself. And like um, I mean, if people aren't capable of a structural critique of the media, they're just being led by the nose. People need to start fucking seeing these institutions for what they are, which is populated entirely full of people who wouldn't have those jobs if they held any divergent view. It is groupthink. It is structural filtering of what is permissible to think and say and it doesn't mean that you know you then refuse to engage with the media i think labor could have played things a lot better with the media but no they are a massive monolith of of state capitalism that must be contended with you know mm -hmm. and, and that involves putting yourself at a critical distance the amount of people who find themselves discouraged because well jeremy corbyn was misrepresented and had bad things said about him so that's a reason to give up no, there's a reason to find different ways to fight. Although that's a reason to elect someone whose only thing is being is that the media will like them. So what, Blair the <laughs> second? Then? Yeah, yeah, it's like that thing. It's like, oh, yeah. it'll be fine then, won't it? Um, you know, so support your local union, support your local podcast or your local... I mean, in Bristol, we've got the Bristol Cable, which is where it's like co-op owned newspaper. Um, but, you know, you can give money to podcasts, things like that. You know, and it's like, what is the media for? Well, it's informing you. But if the mainstream media is not informing you, then it does make sense to get your um, information from left-wing um, sources. Uh, Tribune, um, I don't know what else, any other ones? Canary? Uh, well, sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Sometimes. I'm just trying to think of all the ones I can think of. That yeah. uh, well, I, 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 That's Bristol. If, if, you well. want, if you want some perspectives on what I was just literally talking about, like um, Chomsky and Ed Herman's propaganda model, um, I'd recommend the site Media Lens because uh, they offer, you know, uh, uh, this critical framework to try and process stuff like what's going on at the BBC, what's the dealio with, especially like the, the, the threat, the... the, the the press that appears to be the friend of the left. So we are talking about The Guardian. We are talking about, you know, um, the, these supposedly pluralistic institutions that seem to conform with notable exceptions. You've got your token tokenistic inclusions of people like Owen Jones, but the editorial line is firmly centrist in its outlook. Um, yeah. And then, um, yeah, I mean, so then his other one is um, it's having like strong local councils as in like left-led local councils, this is the other reason why stuff went went bad up north is because they've had like Labour councils for years who are like cronyist, you know, because they're, they're safe seats. That's where you get um, cronyism. They had bad councils who, yes, their funding was cut by Tory governments, but there were people who were like voting against their local MP because the bins are shit. And the bins are shit because you've got crap Labour councillors. Um, and, you know, whereas in Preston, where they've got the Preston model, where um, they're actually running things on a kind of municipalist basis uh, with socialist kind of policies, um, even though they voted leave, they, L Labour kept their, their MPs there. Like, um, you know, it can be fought. And this, this, again, this is a reason to not just ditch the Labour Party because um, Corbyn's gone. Like, we need to be in there. We need to be getting younger people like us who with actual ideals 
um, elected into councillor positions and we need to be holding our local councils um, to account because that, that again it does make a big difference to people's lives and it can show people that not everything just has to be shit forever yeah I mean it gets overplayed and uh, misused by some but it's also true to say that if this country was composed of voters solely aged 39 and under we'd be living in some kind of uh, Labour supermajority. now that's not that's not a, a, a um that's not an indication that we should just sit and wait for all the Tories to die. We should uh, speed up the process. <laughs> <laughs> oh! <laughs> so um, the NHS cuts will do that anyway, so... Yeah, and the, and the pension constantly travelling yeah, to, yeah. the, to the horizon for every every person over the age of 50. Well, all of us, but I don't know. I, I don't really think about my pension because I just... I'd be like, if I'm alive... And, no, you know, I'm planning to die on the job. <laughs> planning, planning to die on the job. That's the best gold and distilled water. Um, apparently teachers have, like, the shortest... One of the shortest, like, lifespans after retirement of any profession. Oh, don't. But the biggest bladders. <laughs> oh, mate. Maybe that's part of it. Just constantly holding your piss all day. Just... Apparently doctors can tell if you're a teacher or a bus driver. Really? By looking at your bladder. Or, or a nurse, surely. No, I think they can just, I don't know. No, no, they've got those little pans they can piss in whenever, innit? Catheter themselves up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> those aren't for the staff. Did, I bet they could, though. Did, all right, I can't remember this, um, you or someone else that told this to me, um, but somebody was saying that there was a nurse um, who was uh, working in a different department than that they usually work in, and they went to use the tap uh, to fill up a water bottle and they were told, no, that tap is for the patients. And they had to buy water bottles. And it yes. was a doctor who got told off by an administrator, like a bureaucrat manager, told that to like a junior consultant, like, like you know, some doctor who's about to clock onto a 12-hour shift. I think it was it, like, yeah. It, it, you... And again, it, it shows that dichotomy, linking back to the Graeber article between the carers and the managers. Yeah, it was just a disgraceful way to treat uh, an esteemed member of staff, you know. Well, it doesn't matter if they're esteemed or not, they're a member of staff. True, true. It doesn't Water. matter if they're it's cleaner. cleaner. It's, it's, well, it's how, how arrogant these managers must feel that they are able to just say to a doctor that that. I, I, Maybe there's something in the water that is designed to slowly kill the patients to save money. Perhaps. <laughs> Yeah, maybe the manager's Just like, oh, psst, don't drink that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, but the, you know, the idea that in any way that could be an acceptable thing, like apparently they didn't have a staff room there, you know, where maybe they have a coffee machine. I don't know how you could have a cup of tea. I don't know. I th- I, to me, that just sounds like it must go against... Costa, which exists in all the hospitals now. It does. It um, doesn't pay any tax. Yeah. Yay. Okay, so, right, well, obviously we're still thinking about things we want to do. So, Charlie, I believe, have you got a plug? Yeah, so uh, one of the things uh, I think is really important, if possible, is, yeah, developing your political education as well. That's a really easy one, uh, I think, especially considering, yes, we've, we know we've got so many uh, outlets for the media. If you want to come be involved in things, if you live anywhere near Bristol, we've got uh, Bristol Transformed happening in March, as well as lots of little events that happen um, throughout the year now. So, yeah, the festival is going to be from the 6th of March to the 8th of March. Uh, there's going to be talks. There's going, that's going to be in the form of panels, workshops. There's going to be all sorts of extra um, cultural activities. I think there's going to be some yoga, some um, fighting lessons. Uh, to balance yeah. out the yoga. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the same to person. balance out the stereotype. Same person. It is the same person. Wow. Well, I mean, be fit and know how to <laughs> take a lesson and have multiple Fight interests. and then chill out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, I said two uh, podcast recordings one from Trash Future and another from uh, The Lockdown with Inner Rider so yeah loads and loads plus much more that I'm sure I've forgotten about so definitely put that in your calendar and buy your tickets Right so um, now we've kind of had a bit of a a discussion about what we are going to do or what we could potentially do Um, we kind of had to think about uh, it's really easy isn't it to reflect on the negatives and things that haven't yet been done, things we do have to do without actually taking the time to consider what has been done, what is amazing and the kind of the victories and the celebrating of success, which is really, really important. And with that in mind, we have decided to um, sort of introduce a section called Outstanding. And I believe Nick has won this week. Uh, yeah, so my uh, Outstanding section uh, is 
is trying to highlight it's a story, it's a true story that happened in my school a few weeks ago um and it's trying to highlight the stuff that schools and teachers and support staff do for kids that is nothing to do with exams but kids will remember forever and be super super grateful for the teachers for that thing but it's nothing to do with um you know a narrow view of what education is as in getting results so <clears throat> a uh a colleague of mine was covering a lesson and there's a child in the lesson and the, the child says can i go to the toilet and uh, she goes no um you don't need to go to the toilet you know just wait um a couple of minutes later he's like please 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 miss can i go to the toilet um and she's like oh, fine he jumps over some tables to get out of the room he runs down the corridor while he's going down the corridor he uh, has explosive diarrhea of the kind you know when it like goes in places you wouldn't expect it to go like you shit yourself and it goes up your shirt I mean, it's never happened to me uh, this is what i've heard happens um I know of this happening as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, it goes into like weird places. Like it happens to kids and stuff, doesn't it? It's like it just goes everywhere. So this happened, um, and then uh, some teachers were like, "Right, we need to sort him out." So they got him into the staff toilets, and they started to like try and clean him up and help him out. Um, the head teacher came in to try and help, which is which is brilliant. You know, like a head teacher like trying to be involved. However, the smell was so bad that he gagged and uh, had to leave and couldn't actually help. But at least he tried, and then. The fire alarm went off. So everyone had to leave the building and go and line up on the field. And you're thinking, okay, there's stuff that happens to you when you're a teenager. You think, oh my God, you know, you, you're mortified and, it, and it, you know, it's never going to let you down. But they took him out onto the field as everyone else was lining up and they put like a blanket on him and just played it down so quietly. He completely got away with it. So no other kids know that this happened. All the teachers are talking about it because it's funny as fuck. But like... He was looked after by staff and they will never get, and he will remember that for the rest of his life. And when he's 30 and 40, well, when he's built up enough like self-confidence to be able to tell a story about him shitting himself, like maybe at university or something, he will tell this story and he'll never forget the people that helped him. And that's got nothing to do with, um, with lead tables or anything. And the staff don't want any kind of recognition for that. That is just, it's just what we do. It's, just, care. it's yeah. just what we do every day. So, um, yeah, shout out to the <laughs> teacher, the teachers involved in that. Honestly. Like, outstanding. Hi, outstanding. Hi. Can I just outstanding. Say, can I just say, Nick, you did not tell us what that was. And I, yeah, was I wanted a reaction. Really? <laughs> What's my reaction? My reaction is, are you sure about this segment if you're going <laughs> to Well, it was not my turn next time. So there you go. I, I like that. But it's so true. Like you remember, those are things you remember. It's true. Like if I think back to my time at school, it's not like individual lessons and what did I learn and what was a start and what was a plenary and oh my God, look at all the progress that I made in that lesson. It is, it is the way you feel. Like it's, I know it's a really cheesy, lame thing, but you don't always remember what, what was said, but you remember how you felt. And that is so important. And yeah, kudos to those lovely human beings for being lovely. Uh, as a point of clarification, I've checked where I got that quote from, and it wasn't James Farmer. It was the historian Howard Zinn. He coined the uh, the phrase, you can't be neutral on a moving train, in case I'm unable to go back and uh, correct my mistake <laughs> without it sounding really obvious that I'm doing so. The power of the editor. Mm. Right. Well, I think that's that's it, isn't it? Right? Are we, we, we're at that point. So oh, 2020, an exploding <laughs> load of shit. I feel like that might... <laughs> But it can be cleaned up. That's the. It, yeah. it is yes. our duty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With compassion and kindness. And, and, and wet wipes. And wet wipes. Does yes. this. Leave somebody's <laughs> wet wipe. Yeah. <laughs> this episode might need to have a trigger warning put yeah. in the beginning of it. Content warning. Fecal matter. <laughs> oh, okay. But well, I've now got to do this end bit without laughing. Um, right. So, anyway, thank you for joining us. Uh, we've been Requires Improvement. Um, I've been your host, Lauren, and today I've been joined by co-hosts... Charlie. Nick. Lee. Okay, and you can find us on Twitter at RequiresPod and on Spotify and any other place that you get your podcasts. iTunes. iTunes. Is that right? Yeah. SoundCloud. There we go. What he said. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Have a lush time. Till next time. Bye. 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 Bye.